Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, we bring you information about the science, about the application, about the newest ideas in health and wellness. There is so much you can do to boost your own health. I know that when I am exposed to health information and I, I read the abstracts or sometimes the full, the full text of maybe a thousand studies a year, and I find that there is so much fabulous new information that is coming out now. It's just like a, a torrent of great research and virtually every kind of technique, every kind of therapy you look at, you can find remarkable, deep, insightful research into what that can do for you. And then, of course, there are lots of popular science books as well, and popular science blogs, and those will explain that research to you. So maybe you aren't going to read a primary science paper, but you can read a blog post about it from a website, and then you can discover what it means and how to apply it in your own life. And now that we can filter all of these new techniques that are emerging through the, the lens of research, we can figure out which ones could work and which ones can work for our own health. So I encourage you to listen to the show, also use it just for your own inspiration, because this is a happy place. <laughs> High energy health is a happy place. We just come here every week to have a great time. There's a lot of laughter, a lot of fun, a lot of joy, as well as a lot of information. And then we encourage you each week to take action on these resources, take notes, and then apply them to your own life. So I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you are making High Energy Health part of your well-being protocol every week. And I invite you to bookmark the site and come back to it again and again and again. You'll find it's a gold mine, a treasure trove of information you can use for leverage on whatever it is that you're struggling with right now. And also, if you're not struggling with anything, how to optimize and really refine your approach to your own health. My guest today is Michael Diamante. He's the founder of the Diamante Center for Clinical Nutrition and the author of the book, the Candida Chronicles. He's also the co-creator of a computer software system that studies blood work, mineral tests, and other lab tests to figure out exactly where your body is imbalanced and then help design remedies for that. For 30 years, he's been a practitioner and he holds a doctorate in nutropathy. He's also a member of the International Association of Clinical Nutritionists and several other boards. So we're going to dive into these amazingly interesting and impactful issues and how you can use them for your own well-being. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. You know, Michael, at the beginning of the book, you tell a story, and I was just absolutely amazed, astonished, 
fascinated in kind of tr- watching a train wreck way <laughs> as he told the story about that raid by the the California Bureau of Consumer Affairs on that clinic. And I think it's just a really good way to start the discussion of where naturopathy was 30, 40 years ago, where it is today, and the kind of issues and approaches that we'll be, be sharing in the next hour. Right. I got you. Yeah, well, it's it, it never it ceases to amaze me how vested interests somehow manage to get in there and try to squelch information or inhibit information. That story is just an example of such a thing. It's just ridiculous. What was happening was that they were conducting research. They were making improvements into different things. They were discovering things that eventually were going to inhibit the drug companies and their ability to sell drugs. And that's uh, pretty much the bottom line of what happened. And, of course, they went in to try to stop it. the The FDA is famous for doing these things. I can't tell you how many of my colleagues have had people sent in as spies They'll come in impersonating patients, saying that they're a patient, and they'll come in looking for any possible thing that they can get the guy on. And if he's not a medical doctor, one of the things they typically try to hang people on is practicing medicine without a license. And if you are a medical doctor, then they're looking for things that would go against what your licensing is, your scope of practice or something like that. So, But, you know, actually, this has been something that's really uh, calmed down quite a lot in the last few years, with the exception of COVID. COVID was its own controversy. But with the exception of COVID, this because nutrition has come to the forefront, and we have so many great nutritional scientists now out there who have very great credentials, this is, you know, it's the end thing now to be studying nutrition or to be doing a diet or to taking vitamins. It's become the end thing rather than something that someone's ostracized for or thought of as being a freak. You know, now when you go to a medical doctor and you start asking the medical doctor questions about vitamins, it's embarrassing to him if he doesn't know something. Where in the past, they would look at you with the authoritative kind of, you know, viewpoint and the authoritative figure and they would say, well, you know, that doesn't matter or that's not true or that's not good for you or something like that. So times have certainly changed is what I would say. Yeah. And I actually had that discussion with my MD probably 10 years ago, and he was pointing to some of the big epidemiological studies that showed that taking a multivitamin every day had no long-term effect on well-being. And so he was saying, I don't take one myself and don't recommend my patients because we got these long-term epidemiological studies, several of them showing no improvement in health span or lifespan as a result of multivitamin use. Uh, I know there have been more recent studies than that, I think. I haven't tracked them, but haven't there been several now that have shown there is benefit? If you go on the internet, let's say you just go on Google and you do a search for scientific studies which show the benefit of nutrients, you will come up with millions of documents. Millions. If you go on the internet and you do searches for different vitamins individually, you'll come up with millions of documents. So I don't think that there a multivitamin isn't something that would necessarily qualify in my universe as something that would be a correct testing point. Because a multivitamin, in fact, I don't recommend multivitamins. As a nutritional scientist, I'm actually adverse to multivitamins. And there's a specific reason why, is when someone comes to me, for instance, in my practice, and they let's just say they just want a checkup of some kind, we run tests on these people to find out what their nutritional balance is in their body. 
And I very rarely find anybody who a multivitamin would apply to because everyone has their own unique biochemistry and it could, it breaks down into different, there are different systems or different manners in which you can break down the person's biochemistry. Some doctors have done it based on blood type. Other doctors do it based on Eastern practices like the Ayurvedic types. There are many different ways you can do this. I do it just based on science. I look at the person's mineral pattern in their tissues. I look at the functional levels of nutrients. Now, I say functional levels, not serum levels. If you just draw a blood test and look for someone's vitamin levels, that doesn't tell you how they're assimilating the vitamin, how their body's utilizing the vitamin. It only tells you what the level is in their blood, which is, to me, meaningless, you see, because that can vary in a few minutes. You can check someone's blood level of potassium and then have them eat a banana, and you have a, a drastically different level. We're interested in functional activity. How well is this person utilizing the nutrient? Is the utilize, is the nutrient being utilized? So when you look at it from that viewpoint, you find out it would be you know, actually no surprise to me at all that a multivitamin wouldn't do much for anyone because people have their own individual requirements. They're biochemically individual. So what works for one person is not going to work for another person. What nutrients one person needs are not going to be the same as another. I'm reminded of a story. I tell this story often. When I first got out of nutrition school and I started a practice, I had a dentist who referred to me a lot of patients. And he was referring the patients to me more for their oral health, like to help them with their gum healing and, and teeth and whatnot. He referred me this medical doctor. And this medical doctor had a prostate history, very bad prostate problems. He had read a few years ago in the medical literature that zinc was good for your prostate, which is kind of common knowledge nowadays. So the doctor started to take zinc. He took 50 milligrams of zinc per day. And after a few weeks and maybe a month, his prostate had improved dramatically. But you see, being a medical doctor and not someone with a broad spectrum, let's say, of, of thinking it, how nu nutrients interact and whatnot, he just continued to take the zinc. He didn't take anything else, never got tested, just continued to take 50 milligrams of zinc every day. Well, after about a year and a half, the prostate problem started to come back. So he thought to himself, I don't understand why this is coming back. I've been taking the zinc. It worked the first time. He says, I'll double the zinc. So now instead of taking 50, he took 100 and it got worse. That's when the dentist referred him to me. When I heard the story, I immediately told him, stop taking zinc and I want you to start taking copper. And then we also did a hair mineral test on him to look at the tissue levels of his zinc and his other minerals. Well, sure enough, he called me back after a week to tell me that since he stopped the zinc and he started the copper, the prostate has now cleared up. When he came in to see me, I showed him on his test, he had taken so much zinc that he had caused a copper deficiency in his body. And copper is one of the key nutrients in your body that protects you against bacterial infections. So because his prostate had been a weak area, when he depleted that area of copper, he got an infection. Now, this was for a different reason than he had initially, but the point is to show how he created an imbalance in his body. He took one yeah. single nutrient to the point where he created an imbalance, and he ended up with the same problem all over again. Yeah, so it's this spectrum of things that's going to be appropriate. Yes, it's the balance, which is key. The key is to find the person's biochemical individuality. What is their blood type? Because blood type tells you a lot about their genetics. And then to analyze them, find out what their levels of hormones are, vitamins, amino acids, their neurotransmitters, their minerals, 
their fatty acids. You want to look at the whole spectrum of all the biochemistry in their body, but not not in a manner where you're just looking at the level. You want to look at how the body is utilizing these things. And from that, you can come up with a blueprint for this person biochemically that's going to be unique to them as opposed to someone else. And this is how you can refine and balance what's happening with them. What about all the new genetic tests that there are on the market now? There are very simple ones like 23andMe. There are elaborate ones like the DNA company. There are many of these available right now. Do you use those, recommend those, use information from those? Yes. Now, here's an interesting topic. When you're dealing with these tests, the biggest confusion that I find people have is they tell me, I went, I did a genetic test and they found this and this, so therefore I am now taking these vitamins or I'm doing this program. And what I do is I test them to see functionally where they're at at the moment. The mistake that people make is that when you have a SNP, it doesn't mean the SNP is active. That's not what gets reported. When you do a genetic test, what's reported in the genetic test is what your tendencies are, what your SNPs are, not what's happening. So a genetic test only tells you what possibly could happen if that SNP tees in. The doctor of the future is going to do a genetic test on the person to find out all their potential weaknesses. And then he's also going to do functional tests, as I've been talking about, and he's going to compare the two. So he's going to see functionally what's wrong with the person and genetically what could go wrong with the person. So this is the most important thing for people to remember when they have a genetic test. Having a genetic test doesn't mean that all those things that show up as being possibly wrong are actually happening now. That is a major mistake that people make when they use those tests. It's only telling you what could happen. So if you get a genetic test and it tells you that you're prone to this, 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 and this, then you go have functional tests to see where you are with those parameters to see if that's actually occurring in you now. And if it's not, that's great. Now you can do things preventatively to protect that. If it is happening, you can identify, well, this is genetic, the cause. This isn't because I developed a deficiency or I have stress, or I have something else. This is genetic. So if you have a problem that's genetic, that functionally is happening now, you know that the program that you have to do is long range. You're doing it probably for the rest of your life because your genes aren't going to change. And then how do you know which functional tests are useful and accurate and reliable? I just remember doing some cortisol testing many years ago, and we were using different labs. We wanted to find a lab to use for a cortisol study. And my mentor, his name is Norm Sheely, is the founder of the American Holistic Medical Association. And Norm has a wicked sense of humor. And what he did was he took cortisol samples from a whole bunch of patients, and he sent them to these various labs, and he mislabeled them. He would label samples from a 49-year-old females from an 18-year-old male, and he would he would mislabel them in various ways like that. And sometimes he, he would just label them accurately as well, and he'd keep track of the soul. And then he'd sometimes also mail several samples from the same patient with different labels to the same lab. Mm -hmm. And the results were that very, very few labs were accurate or able to supply accurate data. As a matter of fact, at that time, I was trying to do a, a giant triple-blind randomized controlled trial using cortisol. And we found that that one of the, the biggest, most popular labs, their, their results were so unreliable, we had to throw out a giant batch of very expensively acquired data. So how do you pick good tests and good tests? I know exactly the lab you're talking about because <laughs> I ran into problems with them. And when that lab ran into problems, it set a tone throughout the industry to clean up their act and become more accurate. 
the labs that I use now are labs that I have had I have confidence in because I've used them for quite a while. And I myself performed a, a random study without them knowing it, just like you just described, to prove to me that the, the data was going to be consistent. So I can tell you a few of the labs. One of them is Great Plains Labs. Great Plains is known for the organic acid test, which is a test we use a lot. They also do tests for mold and for a, for some other things, but that's primarily what they do. Genova Labs is also a very good lab. They've proved that their data is is consistent. Doctors Data has been around probably since the 70s, and they do various testing with toxic metals and amino acids and neurotransmitters. There's also uh, Diagnostic Solutions, which is a very good lab that also is very reliable. And for hormones, however, the only lab I use to test hormones is called the Dutch Test. That is the only hormone test I use. It's a dry urine collection. And what they do in the urine test is they look for the metabolites of the hormones. They're the only lab in the world that takes a panel and they look at all your hormones and they look at all the intermediate substrates of the hormones. So if they're testing for estrogen, they will begin with every single step along the way of your body creating that estrogen. And then they also look at how your body methylates all the hormones, which is extremely important. Because if you don't break the hormones down correctly and detoxify them, then you have other types of trouble. But, you know, the the story you just told, I actually did, the first time I ever ventured into doing something like this was with parasite testing. When I was practicing in Manhattan, we would have a lot of people come to us with symptoms of parasites, and we would send them to the lab, and we, half the time, they didn't find the parasites. So I decided to take a group of patients. I had them send stool samples to five different labs, some of the more popular labs where you mailed in the samples, and then to some of the well-known physicians in Manhattan who actually looked at your stool sample immediately under a microscope. They would take a rectal swab right in the office, take the swab, go right underneath the microscope, and they would look at it right then and there. Now, the results of this were identical to what you, you were just relating to. Five labs, 10 different patients, every single result was different. And what that taught me, it taught me something about labs at the time. This was back in the 90s. But it also taught me something about the biome, the microbiome. Someone's biome is so complex and so different that different techniques in trying to analyze it are not always going to give you the same result. And especially when it comes to parasites or any microorganism which tends to attach itself to the mucus lining. Because those organisms attach to the mucus lining, they stick there and they get buried in mucus, they get buried in feces. Taking a stool sample is not always going to give you an accurate result because you don't know what's in that sample. If you could walk through your intestinal tract with a flashlight, you would see areas of all normal flora. You would see acidophilus, strains of acidophilus. You would see bifidobacter. And then all of a sudden, you would come across this area of biofilm, which is like this very sticky mucus. And in that biofilm, you'll find candida albicans. You'll find different parasites. You'll find harmful mycobacteria in there. And you look at that, and that's an infected area that will probably have inflammation. Now, as you continue to walk, that will pass. And you may walk another few feet, and then you'll come across another cluster like that. That's how the biome is constructed. The organisms are not like moss growing up a tree wherever they, or a building where it's all uniform. It's not that way. These organisms uh, tend to accumulate in a 
blotty, blotchy kind of fashion in your intestinal tract. So it makes detecting them inaccurate for that reason. That's why what I do in my practice is when we're interested in finding these organisms, we use two types of tests. We will use a urine test, which is going to look for their metabolites because it's easier to find chemicals that they make, that they release into your body that are unique to them and not to you than it is actually to find them. And then the other solution, which works also to some degree, is to use the, the modern stool tests that use DNA technology, where instead of actually looking for the parasite or looking for the organism, you look for their DNA. Interesting. So they'll, it'll show up there in the DNA, even if you aren't finding the whole organism. We're going to go to a break right now. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is a remarkable diagnostician called Michael Diamante. His book is called The Candida Chronicles. His website is health-truth.com, health-truth.com. You're listening to High Energy Health. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church and each week on the show, I bring you interesting and inspiring information. So please make it part of your weekly mental health and physical health hygiene checkup. Just come here for great information, great energy, and to see how these things can apply to you. I'm sure you've already had several insights in the last 20 minutes as you've shared these kinds of ideas and getting a sense of what the impact of these factors is on your health and where you might go for diagnosis and testing. Michael, one thing I'd like to cover in the next little while is candida. And that's, of course, the topic of your book and also the whole interaction in our bodies between moles and bacteria. You just give us a quick primer on that and how it shows up there as this huge, largely undiagnosed epidemic of candida. Well, candida is an organism, which is a fungus, but it also exists as a yeast. It's a, the organism is called dimorphic which means it can live in two different states as a fungus or a yeast. And it's normal to find it in your intestinal tract. In fact, it's normal to find it in the intestinal tract of all mammals. The problem is when the candida overgrows and becomes dominant to your intestinal tract as opposed to a minor part of, of the biome there. In your intestinal tract, you have probiotics, which we all hear about on television. These probiotics are what should be there. They help synthesize vitamins. They help you absorb nutrients from your food. And they also keep candida under control. They keep it suppressed. If something happens to disturb these probiotics, the candida begins to grow out of control and it will become dominant in your intestinal tract. When that happens, you can develop a host of probably about 175 different symptoms that are possible, which are all completely disrelated. What will happen is someone will take an antibiotic, which is a major cause of candida because the antibiotics indiscriminately kill the probiotics. They could get into an accident, end up on steroids. There are various things that could trigger this, but essentially anything that disturbs your intestinal biome that kills off the friendly bacteria there will cause the candida to overgrow. And as I just mentioned, this could be steroid medications, it could be estrogen medications, it could be antacids, it could be being in the swimming pool and, and gulping down too much chlorinated water. It's anything that disturbs your biome allows the candida to grow. Usually one of the first symptoms the person starts to notice when they have this candida growing is they'll be tired, they'll be fatigued. 
because their body is fighting off these toxins that the candida is releasing. They'll then start to notice digestive problems. They'll get bloating. They'll get gas. They'll get all kinds of big diarrhea, perhaps, or loose stools. They'll start to notice that they react badly to different foods. They'll eat carbohydrates, sugars, and get bloated, belching, all of these things. As candida becomes more advanced, it starts to affect your immune system, and it starts to cause allergies and chemical sensitivities. So now where the person was never allergic before, now they have hay fever, they have all these food allergies, and they'll notice that if they go to a party or a bar or some kind of event where there are people who are smoking and they're wearing perfume, all of a sudden they'll get booming headaches and they'll be really out of it. That's the typical progression, but candida can cause so many other issues that sometimes the person may not tie it all together. Candida can cause rheumatoid arthritis. It can cause asthma. It can cause all types of skin rashes. Most eczema is probably related to candida. Psoriasis is probably also mostly related to candida because candida causes autoimmune conditions, and we know psoriasis is an autoimmune condition. Candida can cause a condition called leaky gut syndrome, where it damages the lining of your intestinal tract. It makes your intestinal tract porous, and the substances that were in your intestines that are not normally allowed to go into your bloodstream will now pass into your bloodstream, and that sets off another cytokine storm, a whole host of autoimmune reactions. So if you go onto the internet again and just do a search for candida symptoms, you'll, you'll find it. It's incredible. And most people don't put it together because you see the person took the antibiotic because they had dental work. Then weeks later, they notice now they're starting to get gassy and bloaty or they, they don't feel right when they eat carbohydrates or they drink a beer and they get really drunk and have a hangover for two days. They don't put it back to the antibiotic that they took. So what I normally recommend people who are ill, who have a lot of health challenges, I recommend they sit down with a piece of paper and they do it timeline of their life and try to plot out where your symptoms began and then go earlier and see if you were taking antibiotics or steroid medications or estrogen pepper or any kind of drug which could have caused the candida to occur. Then very often people will come up with the coincidence of here they took this medication and now here these symptoms began. Interesting. So you can trace it back to when you might have triggered that suppression of the natural metabolic in, in your yeah, gut. The natural flora. Yeah. Yeah, the can because candida mostly is iatrogenic. It's mostly doctor induced, which is another reason why it doesn't get the attention in the media that Lyme disease or Epstein Barr virus or even COVID got is because it's usually caused by medications that doctors commonly prescribe. Can you imagine the field day that some sharp lawyer would have if he got a hold of hundreds of thousands of people who all suffered from candida and hence developed chronic fatigue syndrome and he started filing class action suits against drug companies for selling antibiotics and not warning the people that if you take this antibiotic, you need to take probiotics, you need to do things that restore your flora. You could have a field day with something like that. And this is why candida isn't really in the media, in my opinion anyway. Yeah, what is in the media is antibiotic-resistant bacteria that have become an increasing problem. And it's something that, that fortunately is coming to the attention of the medical mainstream now, and people are aware of it. I don't know if it's led to a uh, marked decrease in prescriptions, but certainly it's a, it's a hot topic now and something people are patients are, are, I think, are much more aware of than they were a generation ago. And the solution to this is the natural medicines that are used in my field, because there are many studies that will show that if, a, if an organism has become resistive to a, a standardly prescribed antibiotic, the botanicals in our, in our arsenal that we use 
you'll find those botanicals are very effective against those bacteria. For instance, there's an herb that's called L-campane. L-campane is highly effective against Staph aureus. There are different forms of silver. Sometimes they're known as mild silver protein or colloidal silver. Years ago, the old-fashioned silvers had the side effect of, t of turning people's skin gray, but they were still very effective antibiotics. Nowadays, the modern silvers are made at such a micron size where they don't have that side effect, and they're actually more effective than a lot of prescribed antibiotics against these bacteria, especially these bacteria which are drug resistant. So there are natural cures, and I know I just remember colloidal silver like was used in the 1800s for that purpose. Yes, that's true. Those are the old-fashioned ones. See, this, the chemically made silvers are of very large micron size, and they tend to cause the skin to have this gray tint to them. Nowadays, the silvers are made electronically. What they do typically is they get distilled water, they put it in this container, and they get a bar of 99.99% pure silver, and they run an electrical current through the bar, and they also put some sodium in the water. And this combination of doing these things allows the silver particles to jump off the bar and go into the water and become uh, solubilized. Okay, so they're much more bioavailable in that form than the old forms. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned to listening to High Energy Health. And I encourage you to check out Michael's website and his book. You may have heard yourself in one of those symptoms, and you probably have, have a friend who's suffering from one or more of those things. His book is called The Candida Chronicles, and his website is health-truth.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm so delighted you're here because here you are filling your mind with positive information, inspiring ideas, and things that can make a real impact on your health. That by itself is healthy, and I encourage you for making that choice. You could be listening to Doom and Bloom Radio right now. <laughs> There's a lot of that out there in the world, and you've made a choice to listen to some positive, useful information and that alone is leverage of your own well-being. So bookmark High Energy Health. Come back here every week. Make it part of your diet, your information diet, and you'll be much happier. And I can tell you, you'll learn things that will make you much healthier than you will by filling your mind with all the, the bad news out there as well. So thanks for being here, and thanks for being part of this community. Again, Michael's website is called, you can go here to get more information about his work and his book. It's called Health truth.com. So Michael, here somebody suspects or has been tested and realizes they have candida. They then go to an expert. What happens next? They usually get mistreated. About 99.99% .99 of all the practitioners out there don't understand how to treat candida correctly, which is something that I and also the organization I belong to, the IAACN, which stands for International and American Academy of Clinical Nutritionists, we're trying to put out uh, workshops and seminars to teach practitioners how you properly treat it. In my book, I go through my journey, why I call it the Candida Chronicles, it's my journey to learning how to properly handle candida. And I learned how to treat candida incorrectly like everyone else did. And then I had to go back and relearn. And how I relearned was I listened to the patients. I listened to what they were telling me that they, how they were being treated, how it didn't work. 
And then I took that data and I went and I hit the textbooks to figure out why that wasn't working and what was wrong. And I came up with a list of things that I'm, I'm going to ramble off right now that people can uh, store, make a mental note of if they're ever being treated by Candida. This is the wrong way. The wrong way is that the person puts you on probiotics immediately. Probiotics will not stick to your gut lining until you have eliminated the majority of the Candida. After you've done that, then probiotics will work the way you hear they do. But if you go on probiotics, that's the first thing they're going to give you. They don't know what they're doing. Second thing is when you take antifungals, whether they're prescription or whether they're botanical, you have to rotate them. You have to switch them around every few days. Now, in my program, we have two phases of the treatment where we rotate anti antifungals, which are botanicals, every four days. We take four antifungals, rotate them every four days. Or we use uh, a fewer ones and we do them every seven days. It depends on the person, depends on their testing. But the idea is you cannot take the same antifungal for more than 21 days in a row because that will cause the yeast to become drug resistive and then the antifungal won't work anymore. Next thing is you cannot take handfuls of vitamins while you're treating candida. There's We have one entire list of vitamins which actually worsen candida. That includes CoQ10, B-complex, Vitamin D, all of these nutrients actually make candida worse. Then we have another list of vitamins which actually act as antidotes to the antifungals, and that includes virtually any antioxidant that you take, because most antifungal medications kill candida by creating oxidative stress against the membrane of the candida. So if you start taking all these antioxidants, you're reducing that ability of that medication or substance to damage the outside membrane of the candida which is typically how most medications work. So as an example of this, the drug Nystatin, which is one of the most commonly prescribed antifungal drugs, it works by blocking the candida's ability to absorb iron. So now why would you want to take iron if you had candida at that point? You see, ketoconazole, another widely prescribed drug, blocks the candida's ability to uptake vitamin D from your system. So why would you want to take vitamin D if you had candida? So as I said, there are the two groups of nutrients. One Feed it, make it worse. The other stops the antifungals from working. Other thing that you have to know is when you're treating candida is you must follow a diet that is low in sugar and low in starch because that diet helps weaken the candida so that the medicines more effectively can kill us. Next thing you need to know is that candida is almost always found with dysbiotic bacteria and parasites. So as I gave the example before of walking through the intestines with the flashlight, when you find colonies of candida in your gut, those colonies are usually symbiotic with bacteria and with parasites. They all live together. So in order to eliminate the candida, you also have to be using substances which are broad spectrum enough not only to kill the candida, but also kill bacteria and parasites, which are, or they're all harboring together. You must understand biofilm. Most doctors don't really know about biofilm, but biofilm is the mucus-like sheath that bacteria make to protect themselves. And those same bacteria like to hang out with the candida. So you've got to take substances which will break up the biofilm so you can get to these organisms because they're hiding here. Another thing you have to know is about your bowel movements. If you're constipated, you won't be able to get rid of candida. And the reason why is very simple. If your bowels are very slow, the pH of your intestinal tract rises and becomes very alkaline. And that's the environment candida likes. Candida doesn't like acidity which is why some people get improvement by taking apple cider vinegar, and also why acidophilus works. Acidophilus is the primary probiotic that protects you from candida. Think about the name, acidophilus. 
Acidophilus is a bacteria which naturally releases acids into your intestines, and those acids kill the candida and keep it under control, you see. So when you're dealing with candida, you, these are some of the, the subtle points that you need to know, and you need to be acting upon them correctly, otherwise it's just going to totally wreck your treatment. Wow, that is really great information. And so knowing that, you can then design an effective regimen. And also, of course, that advice like cutting out sugar and starch. I mean, if you just do that, just that one thing alone, like Norm Feeding, my mentor used to say, if I could have people just make one change in their diet, it would be processed food, sugar, and starch. We can just control that. Then suddenly everything is going to get better. I would expand on that. And what I would say nowadays, if if we had that opportunity to tell people, we tell them eat organic, eat non-GMO. That's even more important in certain ways because GMO foods are a major cause of candida, which a lot of people don't know. Meats that have antibiotics and hormones also can cause candida. If a person eats the standard American diet, which we call SAD, they're apt to get candida just from all the junk food that they eat, what I call junk food anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it is really hard sometimes to convince people of this. But then, of course, when you're 20 years old, sometimes 25 years old, 30 years old, often most people are pretty robust. And then things start to show up as cumulative and lack of attention to all of these things. When you're 35, maybe you're slowing down. When you're 40, you're showing symptoms. 45, they're showing up big time. And so it's really worth intervening early. And then what's so delightful to see people who are doing these things. And then like I have, I have a lot of friends who are in their 70s and 80s, and they're just totally vibrant. I mean, they're just full of energy, like they'll beat me a pickleball and they'll pedal their mountain bikes faster than I can pedal mine. And so it's just so exciting to see this new generation of conscious elders who is applying nutritional strategies. They're they're exercising, they're doing breath work, they're meditating, they're reducing emotional stress, they're dealing with their childhood trauma. And this combination of all of those things, the emotional approaches, spiritual approaches, and nutritional approaches are producing fabulous quality of life. And it's cumulative. And you see this really, you see it paying off when people are 60 70, 80, and beyond. So I really urge you as you're listening to this to think what you can do. How can you shift right now? And we focus a lot in the, on the show on the spiritual and the emotional and the psychological. And those, I mean, it's absolutely vital to reduce stress and heal your childhood trauma. We know that from a lot of research. But also, if you aren't feeling good, look at the possibility that it could be nutrition and make sure that you're covering that base thoroughly. And I really like this idea of a an annual checkup. That way, if it's something you don't need, then you're going to know to drop it. You won't keep on taking things or keep on adding adding supplements endlessly. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health, and I'd love to have you back after a break. So stay with me. We'll see you then. Hello, and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week I bring you the leading edge in wellness and happiness. So make joining me weekly part of your routine. Bookmark High Energy Health and visit me regularly. And make this part of what you do every week to improve your well-being and the energy in your life. For more on Michael's work, go to his website, health dash truth.com and again his book the candida chronicles is 
really down to earth. As you can tell, he knows what he's talking about and has been studying this with a passion for more than 30 years. So he really has has learned what it takes to approach our nutrition intelligently and then to refine our approach to really fit our own personalized body type, our blood type, our genes, and so on, rather than one size one size fits all. One size fits I'd learned the hard way, my friend. <laughs> I learned the hard way. And luckily for me, when I was a young person just out of uh, medical school, I was working at Grumman Aerospace with a team of aerospace engineers to develop the biocybernetics computer software system. And these fellows had split degrees in, in science, medical science, nutrition, uh, whatnot, physiology, but they were engineers. And they taught me a valuable lesson. They taught me to look at the body through the viewpoint of an engineer. And I found that to be one of the biggest and most important aspects of looking at health and looking at medicine and looking at nutrition or whatever we're talking about. Because an engineer has a quite a different viewpoint at looking at something as opposed to a, your standard medical practitioner who's very myopic. They have, you know, he's the eye specialist who looks at the eye and then he's got to refer you to the eye specialist who's then able to touch this part of the eye. And then he refers you to the other eye specialist who can touch the other side of the eye. And the specialists are important to a degree, but they become myopic, as I said. Yeah, yeah, the focus on one thing, and this is a systemic issue that people are facing that's affecting their entire body. So it's powerful to look at the body that way. And so how do we, What's as people are becoming aware of this and looking at refining their approach, what are some of the first concrete steps they can take? If someone wants to get their, take a look at their nutritional balance, they have to go to a doctor who does functional testing. That, that usually will answer most of your questions. As we said earlier, go to a doctor who will do a, a genetic test on you, then who will do functional nutritional testing to see what your balance is of the different nutrients, amino acids, neurotransmitters transmitters, et cetera, et cetera. That would be the first step is to get tested. Do not go to somebody who has a hobby horse with certain vitamins. He has his favorite vitamins. He puts everyone on. You don't know whether or not you need those. You don't know whether or not that's going to create an imbalance in your body. As I, the story I gave you initially about the doctor who was taking the zinc for his prostate, you have to get tested because everyone is biochemically individual and you have to see what your individuality is in order to balance that. Also, as you age, as you, as your body changes, as you're under more stress or less stress, what your body needs will your requirements change. Yeah. Yeah, they how, do. How do you determine that? How do you, how do you update? Well, you just by, te by, just by testing, you determine that because as your needs change, it will reflect on the test. But there's an interesting practical joke that God plays on everyone. As you get older, the things you can be guaranteed of is your stomach acid secretions lessen. So therefore, you don't break down proteins. You don't absorb nutrients from your diet as well because your stomach acid's getting less and your hormones drop. Your DHEA levels drop. And that's when you start developing a bad body composition. You put on more fat, you lose muscle, and your cortisol goes up. And when cortisol goes up, it suppresses DHEA and the other hormones, and it puts fat around your belly. The beer belly that most people identify with is very often a cortisol belly. Yeah, and stress, of course, is... Is the trigger. To, yeah. Stress yeah. is the trigger for releasing cortisol. So. And it can be nutritional stress. It can be as a result of, of internal biochemistry got awry. It can be result, the result of spiritual or psychological factors as well. 
The definition of stress that we use is any condition that causes your body to, to adapt, to mm. find a need to adapt. And when it finds a need to adapt, you don't necessarily know how it's going to do that. Sometimes it does that by raising your cortisol, which is a temporary solution. But the body, there is a process in the body called homeostasis. And the homeostasis is the body trying to keep everything at, a, at an even keel or a balance. But once it goes out of balance, it sometimes considers that out of balanceness to be part of its homeostasis. So when it's doing something wrong, like making too much cortisol or making too much insulin, it gets used to that and it gets stuck in that pattern and it doesn't stop. That's where you need an intervention of some kind. Yeah, right. And we have far more knowledge and far more tools available today than we had in years gone by. And I'm just so grateful we have this huge range of options to us for treatment now. And as we are able to use all of these resources, we are able to then develop a health plan that draws on all of them to create absolutely wonderful, fabulous, and happy lives. So Michael, thank you so much for your great work. I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing. You have the passion you're bringing to it, as well as the knowledge and wisdom after all these years and figuring out these many different approaches that really do work. I'm so grateful for that. And thanks for being on the show. I'm more than welcome. And everyone out there listening, remember, don't listen to ads. Don't buy vitamins based on advertising. Buy them based on getting tested to find out what you really need. And for more about Michael's work, go to his website, which is very, very simply health-truth.com. You've been listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I'm so grateful you've been here. Please make this part of your regular routine. Thanks for being here. Till next time, be healthy, be happy, and thank you. 